Okay, then we'll get started. Eric Dowling. Okay. So Parrot Gimel, we sort of followed Shmuel's um, rise to greatness, how Shmuel becomes a Navi. We see there that, <coughs> that the um, Nevua comes to him. And because the Nevua comes to him, Nevua comes to all of Israel. And then we have the connection to the next story, Parak Dalit. And Parak Dalit is kind of a uh, bit of a downer. It's the fulfillment of his Nevoa. So I think we're just going to go into the screen share and I'll show you. Okay. So I usually show you this. I'm not so happy with it this week because it divides the, the peric in a way that I don't really think uh, works. The peric really falls into two parts. Parts um, uh, Aleph, Sukkim Aleph until Yud Aleph. And really there should be a stop right here. From Yud Bet to the end, from Aleph to Yud Aleph, from one to 11, it's a short, short peric, relatively speaking, 20 Sukkim, hi Sadie. Um, and the first half, the first half is the, the war, the various, the two battles of the war, and the second half is the aftermath of the war. And I'm not sure why um, it, it's divided this way here, but we'll take a look over here, okay? And this particular version, which is really, Pretty comprehensive. And we have here. Now, if you look in the text itself, so a lot of these texts here don't, don't give you the, the trop and everything. They don't tell you what's going on, but this is, it should be here, and I don't see it here either. There is a pitcha pasuk. I, I really find it, that's why I said, like, not so happy with this edition right now. Maybe in the Rashi. No, there's just nothing there. Okay, so you're going to have to trust me on this one. If you look in a regular Tanakh, in a regular Macross Gadolus, you see by Hebrush rule of Holy Israel, Ednachta, full stop, and a Samach. I don't know if you, you know what these things represent. The, I don't have a Tanakh handy. But if you look at a Tanakh, if you look at any Tanakh, I'll show you like this, if you could see, you'll see lines that are open, right? The lines that are open, oh, look at the English, look at the Hebrew. You see this lines like this, can you see? And it stops in the middle and then it starts again. Okay, that's Sagur, Satum. That's a summary. We can't see it because of the screen share. The picture is too small. Okay, so let me stop the screen share for a minute and then I'll show you if it's worth a minute. Okay, in the text of the Hebrew, you see sometimes 
like you'll have a stop, a space, and then it starts again on the same line. And sometimes you'll have, it's harder to find usually, sometimes you'll have like a totally open space. I do want to show you. Okay, here, see, it stops and then it's just the line, it goes, it's open to the end of the line. So if you have that, you can have a pay in your Mikoski dolls. And if you have the, the one that stops and opens again, you're gonna have a sama. So if you take a look at, let's say my, my, my beautiful zucker here, you'll see in Pasuk Aleph, can you see? Right after Yisrael, there's a sama. You see this? In other words, there should be a, like a whole paragraphing in the middle of this Pasuk in your text. And that's why I get a little uh, frustrated with these texts that we're looking at because they don't show you that stuff. This is extremely important. I'm going to go back to the screen share. It's extremely important because it's giving, a, it's setting this whole phrase um, apart from the rest of the Pasuk. So the Pasuk says, and the word of Shmuel came to all of Israel and Israel, and, and there's a stop. Okay, and then you have this, the rest of the story. So the exact uh, phrase that the word of Shmuel came to all of Israel is completely separate from the rest of the Pasuk. That's, that's the point you're trying to make here. And then the rest of the Pasuk is the children of Israel went out to, to, against the Plishtim to, to war, and they camped at Evan Ezra and the Plishtim camped at Afik. Before we go into where they camped, right, why are we separating these two parts of the Pasuk? So the question is, what does one part of the Pusik have to do with each other? A lot of things we have to learn to do is ask questions, right? Ask questions. Like what, why is this Pusik written this way? You, if you look at a regular safer, you're going to see there's something odd. First of all, Paragimel dealt a lot with Shmuel and what Shmuel is doing and becoming a Navi and all this stuff. Paragdalit, after this mention of Shmuel, he does not appear again. So while the story continues, the, the appearance of Shmuel is not here. So the question is, what does his word coming to all of Israel have to do with their going out to war? So if you take a look at Rashi, Rashi here says, the word that Shmuel was said to Shmuel, in other words, the prophecy that he got in chapter three came true to all of Israel. And how did that happen? when Israel went out against the Plishtim to war. And across the board, all the Mepharshim answer this. I see I'm a little blurry. I hope that's gonna straighten up because I have no idea why. Esther, you pushed something on the, uh, on the background that says blur. Now you undid it. It's fine now. Okay. So really Rashi is saying the prophecy that Shmuel had in chapter three is now gonna come true for all of Israel, not just for the house of Eli. And this is how it happens. The children of Israel went out to war. This is the generally accepted view of everybody, except the Radak, who says, Radak says, wait, wait, come on. Right, 
he commanded them to go out and the word of God, and he commanded them to be beaten by the Plishtim because they were uh, um, obligated in judgment and they were going to be punished. And yeah, so this gets a lot of flack from the other Parshanim, and they're like, no, nobody agrees with the Radak. Just saying, <laughs> the Radak is a lone, the lone, uh, the lone man who says this because it, it seems as if to say that Shmuel is giving them a prophecy, go out to war and then they lose, which would be a very, very difficult thing. So it's interesting that the Radak sees it that way. So they're going to go out to war and they're going to lose this battle. And the way all the other, uh, the first understand it is that they're going to, um, they're, they're going to, by going out to this war, the word of God that came to Shmuel in chapter three, which was the, the curse of the house of Ailey, you know, second, second version, that's going to happen when they go out to war. So that's really the understanding of very, very strange. Okay. So why do they go out to war? The Das Mikra, let's just take a look here. Let's understand the geography a minute, and then I'll show you. This is a general map. Um, this is a general map, okay? Here are the Philistines, Gaza, Ashkelon. Ashkelon is over here. I'll show you a more specific map. This is the Plishti area. The, the conflict between the Plishtim and the Jews has been going on since the time of Shimshon. And, you know, by the way, we're coming up in the run-up to Shavuos. I think we can all give ourselves a big pat on the back that we've gone through Yoshua, we've gone through Shoftim, we're into Shmuel, we're doing our learning, so we can be very proud of ourselves. And when you look at the, the sweep of history, the Plishtim are a hundred year battle. The Plishtim are a problem for many, many years. And at the time of Shimshon, which is chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16 in Sefer Shoftim, at that time, they are the dominant nation. They rule the Jews. In fact, when Shimshon comes to hide in Yehuda, he runs away and hides in Se'if Selah Etam, they say to him, what, is, what are you doing here? Don't you know that the Plishtim rule us? Don't you know that they're in charge of everything? And um, so the question is, why are they going out to war here? And I'll show you the, this map. Okay, this map is a very, very useful map. And it's that particular area. If you take a look here, Aza, Ashkelon, Ashton, Ekron, and I circled them. These are the Plishti cities. Now, we're just told that the, the Jews are camped at Eben Ezer. One second, right? And the Plishtim are at Afek. Okay, Afek is here. What are the Plishtim doing there? This is like due west of Shiloh. It's quite north in the Shomron. The Plishtim territory is here. So why are they encroaching? So the Das Mikra, which is always very geographically and historically minded, says perhaps, perhaps they, perhaps they um, are encroaching and the Jews fought this war in order to push them back, which actually makes a lot of sense. Okay, 
Now, here we have this, I don't know if you can see in this map, you see the, this is the line that shows where they're traveling. And this is gonna be where the battle is. The term Evan Ezer means the rock of our help. And actually that place is named Evan Ezer only back, uh, only ahead in chapter seven. So this happens a lot in the Tanakh. The name is given for an event that happens later, but when we refer to it a few chapters before, we use the same name. But ironically, Evan Ezer is not gonna be any help to them, the rock of our help. They're, they're gonna be really messed up here. So let's go back to the text. Okay, so the Plishtim, uh, the, uh, the, the Plishtim are at Afek and the Jews are Evan Ezer, Pasik Bet, Vayarhu Plishtim, Lekrat Yisrael, Vatitosh HaMelchama, Vayinag of Yisrael, Lekne Plishtim. And the Plishtim now, Aruch, with an ayin, it's like Shulchan Aruch. It's like to set up. So a lot of times in the Tanakh, the word Aruch, Maracha, Laaruch, Melchama, to set up the battle, it's used very often. If you've seen any movies about this, uh, you know, historical battles, you'll see like they would have formations of like before the battle, they would be, you know, their, their infantry here and their cavalry behind them and however it was. So the Plishtim set up the battle facing Israel, towards Israel, and the war spread out. So the, the question is, what does that mean that the war spread out? Does it mean that uh, this was a Plishti tactic. So I've seen some commentaries say there's a Plishti tactic to spread out and attack. Or it could just mean there. Barbanel says the Jews are already running away in the middle of the battle. But ye nugget Israel, this is a passive form. The children of Israel were, were beaten before the Plishtim by Yaakub Amaracha. The Amaracha is that battlefield where they had all set up their neat, nice, neat little troops. Now it's a Balagan because everyone's running. They were struck in that battlefield, in the field, about 4,000 men. Somebody is um, not muted, so please uh, make sure you're muted, because otherwise we have, like, noises. Okay, Pesachimel. Okay, let's, let's spend some time on the beginning of Pesachimel. The people come to the camp. Okay, the battlefield is midway between Ebenezer and Afek. Okay, if we're looking at our battlefield right here. And now the Jews are beaten and they go back to Ebenezer and they're sitting there, you know, metaphorically licking their wounds. And their response to this defeat, 4,000 men dead. That's a lot of dead people, right? And the elders, remember, this is coming from the top. This is coming from the elders. They say, Now, if you follow the sense of this Pasuk, why were, did God beat us today before the Philistines? Why were we beaten by God today before the Philistines? What's implied in this Pasuk? Who did this? God did it. Why did we get beaten? Why did God allow this to happen? And herein lies a very big problem with their hashkafa. So take a look at one of my favorite 
Sukkim in Mishlei, which I prepared for you. Pasuk Gimel in Perakim Tet, if I'm not mistaken. Tet, yeah. A man's foolishness perverts his way, and then his heart becomes angry at God. Classic. Don't we all do this, right? Instead of saying, why have I, you know, had this setback? What can I do to fix it? Can I dab in? Can I do tshuva? Can I ask God to forgive me for whatever my sins are? Can I think and analyze what my sins are? No, most people will say, why is God doing this to me? It's a very natural reaction in many ways. But Shlomo Melch is saying in Mishlei, don't be foolish and then say, why are you doing this, God? So the elders who should know better, they're the leaders, they're saying, why is God doing this to us? And this is a very big problem. This is the first thing we have to say to ourselves. When we have setback of any kind, the thing to do is to dive in, try to figure out if you've done anything wrong, try to do some tshuva. That's the way to go. Why isn't there any tshuva here? Why isn't there any tefillah? Now, we talked about this a lot in Sefer Shoftim, that every time they got into trouble, Right? It took them years to finally dive into God. Forget about you, but that only happened once or twice. But here they come up with a creative solution, and this is going to get them into very big trouble. The second half of Pasuk Gimel. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant of God from Shiloh. Let's go get the Aron of Hashem. The Yavobekirbenu. Now listen to this language. And it will come in our midst and it will save us from the palm of our enemies. Ah, uh, so we have another problematic hashkafa here. What are they saying about the Ark of God? It will come among us. It will save us from the hands of our enemies. So let's try to figure out what's, what's their thought here, okay? We lost, we need to bring in the big guns. What's our big guns? The Ark of God. And how does this work, right? They call it, and if you'll notice in this particular story, the Ark of God gets many, many names. What they call the Ark of God is the Aron Brit Hashem. And Hashem is always the God of mercy. So they're contemplating the covenants between them and God and saying, God, you know, you're the God of Jewish people, you owe us, right? The bris of Hashem, and Hashem will have mercy and he'll save us, right? But when they actually talk about it, there's something really off here. The Aron Hashem is going to come amongst us and it will save us from the hands of our enemies. In other words, what have they done with the Ark of God? They've actually turned it into an Avodazara. It's like the magic box. The magic box is going to come and save us from the bad guys. And the Malbim says here, Chashvu, they thought that necessarily, right, God will save the ark of his glory, of his might, and it will guard, um, guard it from the Philistines. And because of that, they will be saved and they will also be guarded. 
This is backward thinking. Because the covenant with the ark is not because we have a covenant with this box. It's what's written in there. It's the Luchot Habrit. It's the Torah. The whole point of the Ark is as a as a, um, a vessel to carry the words that are the covenant between us and God. It's not a lucky rabbit's foot. It's not, you know, your lucky charm. It's not your, you know, your best cannon or 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 you know, your, your missiles, it's, it's a representation of what we're supposed to do towards God. And they've got it completely backwards. To them, it's an object of Odazara. That's something for us to think about because um, really, I think today, many people will get carried away with all kinds of things that they think are, you know, very important. They, they, they need a certain... Uh, school, they needed a certain, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I remember when we once went to Kever Rachel and, um, you know, they have this red string. They go around the Kever seven times with the red string. Uh, you know, when they finished with the red string, we almost got run over by a stampede of women who wanted a piece of red string. I mean, it was actually horrifying. And my, my husband was like, he was just like, this is such a lot He couldn't get over it. Like, in order to get your piece of red string, which what on earth is it anyway? <clears throat> you're going to knock over all the women in your way. He couldn't believe it. And um, I was pregnant at the time. It was, it was quite scary. It was a stampede. Do not get hung up on anything but a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Ain't on Milbato. This is what I'm saying. Okay, Pasuk Dalit. By Shlach Am Shilo, by Yisumi Shavet Aron Brits Hashem Tzvakot, Yosheva Kuvim, Visham Shtei Bnei Eli, and Aron Brits Elokim, Chafni Pinchas. So now we have two separate, two separate descriptions of the Aron in one Pasuk. The people sent to Shilo, Pasuk Dalit, and they carried from there the Ark of the Covenant of God. And God here is. Hashem, the Yudkevavke, the God of mercy, who is God of the armies, Yoshev HaKruvim, who sits on the Kruvim. And these are expressions trying to show us closeness to God. God is in charge of the armies. God dwells among the people. And yet, with the ark came the two sons of Eli. And then it's our own Britelokim. Now we have Din. The Din has been put out against. Hafni and Pinchas, they are not a good, uh, a good look for this uh, ark venture. This is a bad idea. And it shows you how completely um, disconnected the Jewish people are from what's going on and how tone deaf Hafni and Pinchas were. It, it's very, very strange. First of all, the Mepharshim asked, how can it be that they send to Shiloh and they take the ark? You don't do these things except if God tells you. And how does God speak to you? God speaks to you through a Navi. I mean, in the time of the Tanakh, obviously. And they have a Navi who's been established to be a true Navi. 
And where is Shmuel? Did they say, Shmuel, should we do this? No. And then there's the, the Kohen Gadol, there's Eli, and Eli has the breastplate, the, the Urim Betumim. Did they say, should we do this? No, they just say, great idea. Let's take the magic box to the battle and we, we are good, we're gonna win. But there's like this, you know, just remember the Bnei Eli are the cause of a lot of corruption and the Ark of the God of Judgment is with them, with Chafi and Pinchas. So um, the Malbim gives a list of all the mistakes that they made. He says, first of all, What's their sin? They're idolaters. Besides the way they, they uh, react toward the uh, Aron, that they treat it like a, a, a piece of idol. It's beyond that, they themselves are idolaters. There's the Pesamicha, and according to the Navi, Pesamicha is there until the destruction of Shiloh, which is about to happen. So that's their big sin. And then, right, it says in Yermiyahu, here, he quotes this here, Maybe what's it here? Right? Yirmiyahu. I'm gonna judge you for the fact that you said I didn't sin. In other words, admit that you sin. They think they're such great tzaddikim. All they need is a little boost, a little bit of a you know, a push from this magic box. And they don't realize that they're very sinful. And then they go take it without permission. And then with B'nai Eli, and you can see that this is not a good scenario. Plus a K. They are completely unaware of the implications of what they're doing. Plus a K. And here it is. They, when the Aron comes to the camp, Right? They're shouting a great shout. Trua is also a sound of the shofar. It's also a shout. They're screaming, Yay! We have our superhero. He's going to save us. Superman is here. Batman, whoever you want, the Hulk. We've got the box. We're good now. And a tehoma oritz. Tehom is like Milshon Hamon. Anything, Hamon is a lot. So any of the roots that come from Hamon have the, um, derived from a lot. When you have a lot of people, you have a lot of noise, when you have a lot of noise, a lot of confusion and balagan. And this is like the big excitement. They're so thrilled. They are sure their team wins. Pasig Bab. And the Plishtim on the other side are like, what's all the shouting? Now, as far as we know, we just beat them thoroughly and killed about 4,000 men. What are they so happy about? What is going on there? And they checked into it and they find out the Ark of God came to the camp. This is why the Jews are so excited. Now, to stop for a second and take a look at this word, why do they call them Ivrim? If you think about it, it's a very strange use of language because Abraham was Ivri, Yosef was an Ivri. We talk about the land, Guno Gunafti, Ivrim. And once the Jews leave Egypt, they become B'nai Israel. And until this Pasuk here, we never use the term Ivrim again. So why do they use the term Ivrim? And if you think about it, if you look this up, you'll check it out. 
It's used again in Yonah. Yonah says, Ivri Anochi. And also it's in Yirmiyahu. And it's also used as a term for a Jewish slave. So there's two things I'll, I'll, I'll open up here. You can think about it. One, the Chazal say, this is how the non-Jews, particularly the Philistines, refer to the Jews. They call them the Ivrim. And that would sort of be parallel to today. You know, you can be in as Israeli as you like, but to the non-Jews, you're a Jew. You don't really care if you're Israeli or American or if you're from Timbuktu. A Jew is a Jew. And that's unfortunately been our lot. So it could be that that's intended as a put down by the non-Jews. Um, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky has an interesting explanation here. Of course, we really have to mention Rav Yaakov, my husband and grandfather. And he, he says that an Ivri is a Jew without land, a Jew without a country, which I find very interesting because if you want to say that it's how the non-Jews refer to the Jews, it doesn't work with these, the Hebrew slave. Why is he a Hebrew slave? So it's very interesting because he's a Hebrew slave because he, he, he ran out of money, he lost his land. And that explains why Yonah says I'm an Ivri because Yonah is out of Israel. Very, very interesting. Anyway, they call the Jews Ivrim and this goes on for a bit. Pasuk Zayin, by Yeru Plushtim ki Amru Balo And the Plushtim were afraid because they said their God, God has come to the camp. Now notice the way the Plushtim look at the God of Israel. So first of all, the fact that they view the Aron as God is, you know, they're pagans. You can expect it from the Philistines. It's much worse when it's coming from the Jews. But that's how the, the, the Plishtim look at it. You know, it's, it's their God, right? It's also very interesting to think that they're frightened by Yomru Oilanu. Woe is to us. This didn't happen previously. The expression at Moshe Shom is yesterday and the day before yesterday, which together means previously. Never happened to us before that they brought their God to camp, right? Plus a kid. Who will save us from this great and mighty God? And this is so interesting. This is really interesting to me because the, the respect and the fear that they have for the Jewish God is because of what happened in Egypt. And if you look at the chronology here, it's 300 years at least since the time that the Jews left Egypt. That's the God who struck the Egyptians with all those plagues in the desert. This Pasuk is a strange Pasuk. So we're just gonna spend a minute on it because it's really weird. First of all, <coughs> it's important to understand that our enemies respect Hashem. Even when the Jewish people themselves don't respect Hashem, our enemies respect Hashem. And there was an interesting thing going around. Um, if you want, I can send it on the chat uh, where they, uh, they had some of the, um, the Arabs saying, the reason that their missiles are not hitting the targets is because the Jewish God is stopping them, which is actually in many ways quite funny. I mean, the Jewish God is stopping them. I'm not disagreeing, but it's the fact that they recognize and they put it as God, it's just very, very interesting. The respect we should have all 
all that respect for the Jewish God. So what are they saying here, right? Who's going to save us from this mighty God? That's the God who struck the Egyptians in Egypt with all the plagues in the desert. Now, I want to look at the Radak here, okay, because the Radak brings a very interesting medrash. Okay, this is the medrash. <clears throat> These are mixed words. The ones who said, who will save us from this great and mighty God, those were the good pushtim. But the, the bad Plishtim, the evil one said, that's the God who struck the Egyptians in all those makot in the desert. They said they, he used 10 makot, right? And he brought them on the Egyptians and he used the rest of his makot on his nation in the desert. God ran out of plagues. Find it very funny, but you know that's how pagans think. You know that's that God who used up all the plagues, and then Amalehem Akadosh Baruch This is the great Medrash. You think I don't have any plagues left in my arsenal of plagues? I'm going to find something nice and new and juicy for you guys, but we'll leave that for the next chapter. But that's how that. That pusik is interpreted. The good Plishtim were saying, oh, you may, oh, you may the Jewish God. And the bad ones are going, ah, oh, he's all used up. He's washed up. And then Pusik Tet, this is where, like, he sounds like a team coach. Guys, get it together. Don't be so uh, terrified. Be men. Put yourselves together, you know, man up. And it's very interesting because if you, you've read any, you know, uh, mythology, Greek or Roman, in their pagan minds, like it was just, you know, your God against my God and whoever's got the stronger God or the stronger team is going to win. And they're just like, even though they have respect for the Jewish God, he's just one of many in their, in their conception of God. So if we fight hard, we might overcome this. So in a paradoxical way, bringing the ark has galvanized the Philistines. It hasn't beaten them or frightened them. It's made them fight harder, Yisrael. And yes, okay, we were expecting this and the Jews uh, lose again. The pep talk worked. And each man fled to his tent. The word, the expression ish le means each man to his tent. They fled each man to his tent. It doesn't, I don't think, mean literally that they went home. They just went in every direction. But to he and it was a very great blow. Where you pulled me, Israel, 30,000 men died. Now, if you recall, in the first battle, 4,000 men died and they were crying, oye ve, oye ve. Now, 30,000. Put it together, 34,000 dead, a terrible, terrible blow. And yet Aleph, really, that's just the, uh, the really bad stuff. And the Ark of Hashem was taken. And Eli's two sons died, Chafni and Pinchas. 
So now we have, you know, Judaism a complete and other an utter catastrophe. Now, if you recall, back when Shmuel had his prophecy, God says to him, on that day, right, the day that my punishments will begin, I will do something. Whoever hears it, his ears will ring. This same expression is used before the destruction of the Beis Amigdash in Yermiyahu, right? That the people's ears will ring. And we have to understand, putting it into perspective, we don't actually hear of the destruction of the Mishkan at Shiloh. In fact, in Tehillim, which is I and Chet, right, um, chapter 78, if I'm not mistaken, Governor Mel talks about it, that God abandoned Shiloh and the consequences of that. We don't actually see it right now, but once the Ark is taken, that's, to all intents and purposes, that's the end of the Mishkan of Shiloh. That is the Churban of Shiloh. The Ark is taken, and if you look at this um, map here, this is, you know, the travels of the Aron. It's going to be in captivity and taken around. That's the next couple of chapters. Until it gets back to the Jewish people, it's going to be a bit of a long haul. The, the Ark is lost, the lost Ark, right? And the Kohanim ends up in a city called Nov, and we kind of find out that the, the institution of Shiloh is, is over. So this is really a catastrophe. And of course, the two Kohanim dying, this is very sad. Of course, we knew that Hashem was angry at them, but still, and the tremendous, tremendous tragedy happens. So the second half of Perak Dalit is going to be given over to the aftermath of this tragedy. And a man of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and he came to Shiloh on that day with his clothing torn and dirt on his head, classical signs of mourning. If you take a look at the map, this, the Dasmikra says, from this battlefield to Shiloh is 35 kilometers. So that's quite a nice run. Okay, and who is this Ish Binyamin Rashi? And the Chazal says, Zehaya Sha'ul. Of course, who is the man of Binyamin who we're going to uh, crown king in chapter 9? Sha'ul. Shechataf et haluchot miyad Goliath ibarachlo. He grabbed the luchot from Goliath and he ran away. So this is a great medrash. First of all, we're putting all of our future uh, characters into this story. And second of all, it's quite dramatic, I think. The person who actually stole the Aron, according to this medrash, is Goliath. So we're not going to meet him again until chapter 17. But the, the, uh, the medrash and the Targum say that he was responsible for a lot of the bad stuff that the Philistines did. And he was one of their great heroes. And he grabs the Aron. Now, Shaul, he's not a shrimp himself. He's very tall. He goes to... Um, Goliath, and he grabs the Luchot, and he runs away with it. That's the Medrash. Now, the Radak does not like this Medrash, right? I think Radak is sort of, in this particular parak, different than everybody else. 
the Rashba, right? He says, Rachoku, Rachok, far-fetched, don't like it. The, how could anyone go to the holiness of the Aron and all the people, all the things that happened to them because of the holiness of the Aron? How could he just grab the loop coat? And that's the Radak's uh, objection to the Medrash, but I still I find it a very interesting Medrash. And besides, if it's a choice between Goliath and messing with the Aron and Shaul, I think I prefer Shaul, but I'm just throwing that out there. So you should know the Medrash. Anyway, he runs to Kshilo, Pasekid Gimel, Vayavro, and he comes, Vihine. Now, Hine always indicates surprise. Behold, Eli Yosheva Likhakisei, this is like, to me, this is like such a tragic scene. So the man of Benjamin, the, the Mevaser, is running to Shiloh. When he gets to Shiloh, he sees Eli sitting on his chair. And his, now it says here, Yad Derech. But the, if you see here, this is what we call a ketiv and a kri. It's written, it's written yach, and it's read yad. And the radak goes into a discussion of it, basically saying, usually a ketiv and a kri are giving you two sort of other ways of, you know, it's more subtle understanding. It's more of a, you know, adding a, a level of understanding. Yad derech means by the way, on the side of the way. And this is the, the gates of the city. This is where the judges sat, right? But Yach is Middleshon Makkah. And the, the uh, Medra says his heart was beating. He was so frightened. And what was he frightened about? It's so interesting. This is telling you the greatness of Eli, even though he knows the din against his sons, that they're both going to die the same day. And he knows that they're out in the battlefield. He's worried about the Aron. And the man came to tell in the city, and the whole city started screaming. So here we, we have a very strange thing. In this Pasuk Yugimel, he comes, he sees Eli, and then he goes to tell the city. So why is that so? So, you know, um, there's a couple of different ways of understanding that. And the, the Malbim says he came around the back of Shiloh. If you've ever been to Shiloh, when you enter the, the, uh, the area of the tell, the, the tell is all the way at the back. So the Mishkan, that's where Eli would be, according to the Malbim, the Mishkan's all the way in the back. So he didn't see him. But the implication in this verse is that he does see him. So the Das Mikra has an interesting and I think very um, intuitive kind of said he saw him and he couldn't tell him. There's Eli, don't forget. Eli is blind. So he's sitting there waiting for news, but you could walk past him and he won't know that you walked past him because he's blind. And when you see the man sitting there and you know that his two sons died and this is going to be such a horrible uh, information for him, he can't do it. This is a Das Mikra, and I, I actually really like that. Pasuk Yudalid. By Yishma Eli, what is Eli hearing now? Of course, he does hear. He hears that people in the city are yelling and crying and wailing. By Yishma Eli, Kolot Saka, Pasuk Yudalid. By Yomer Mekola, how moments there? 
what's all this Balgan I'm hearing? He was hurried over to come and tell Eli. Okay, now, you know, you got to face the music. You got to tell him. A little bit of an introduction to our um, telling. Eli ben Tishimush Murashana, 98 years old. His eyes stood still. He could not see. The Mitsudas gives an interesting explanation for his eyes stood. It means to say each one stood in its place because when you're seeing, your eye moves around. But Ailes had stopped moving because he didn't see anymore. So we're getting information that helps us to understand what happens. He's sitting there on the chair. He doesn't see. And he knows something's going on. And the man comes there and says, I'm the one who came from the battlefield. Now, everybody knows at this point, at this point, it's logical to assume that Ailey is not sitting there alone, a 98-year-old man, and someone is telling people, go and get the Mevaser because Ailey wants to hear from him. So he comes and he says, I'm the man who came from the battlefield. And I actually ran away from the battlefield today. So now either he's repeating himself because he's so nervous and confused, or he's repeating himself because he first he says, I came from the battlefield. And I said, I ran away from the battlefield. So now that is already telling you. And Ailey, as he does with Shmuel, is gentle because he senses that he's agitated. What happened? What's the thing, my son? And don't forget, this is the Davar, the same Davar. Asher kol the Davar. And he says, my son, tell me what happened. And the Mevaser says, the Jews ran away from the Philistines. That's one. That's two. Second thing, a lot of people died. He doesn't give the number, but we know it's 30,000. That's three. Two sons of Eli died. And number four, and the Ark of God was taken. Now, <clears throat> it's not clear, is this from uh, time progression? This happened, this happened first? It seems to many of the Mepharshim, right, that we're going from the least to the worst. In other words, he's building up the bad news in such a way that you know, the, from easiest to worst. And it was when he mentioned the Ark of God, the fourth thing, and that says clearly in the Pasuk, when, it, when he hears, when Eli hears that the Ark of Hashem was stolen, he fell from his chair backwards onto the the uh, uh, the the gate, right? The um, place of the gate, Batishaber Mafrakto, and his neck broke by Yamot, and he died. He's a Kena because he was old and he was heavy. Okay, now if you look at the Mitsudas, he said, What does that have to do with anything? Lefisha Yazakain, Bikochotash, he was old and weak. And he was heavy 
לזה לא היה יכול להתחזק בעת נפלו להטות עצמו על צידו. In other words, if a person is younger or lighter, then when they're falling, they're able to fall better. It's interesting, you know, I, I would watch my, my grandson playing hockey in Toronto, and my husband told me, you missed, they taught them how to fall. We're teaching them how to fall. I, I was just amazed at watching a six-year-old skate around like that. It's in their, it's in their uh, training in Toronto. But you see that Ailey fell backwards. So the mom says he was on a high chair. It was, a, it was an important person's chair. And he fell backwards, which gives you very little ability to um, control. And then he fell onto something hard. And he judged Israel 40 years. So first of all, what do we learn from this? First of all, be careful how you give bad news, right? This is a very, very big shock. And even though Ailey was nervous and frightened and he expected bad news, it's still too much for him. He can't handle it, he falls. And, um, and let's just talk about this. This is the standard ending of a judge's tenure in the Tanakh. And he judged Israel 40 years. So it's interesting if you look at Ailey's career when we first meet him in the Olamoed, Behu Yashav. Ailey Yoshev. Ailey sat. And here at the end, Ailey's sitting. And it's sort of, you know, it seems to be a bit of a metaphor for uh, Ailey. He sits, he was too passive. He didn't rebuke his sons. He didn't stop them from doing what they had what they were doing. He didn't stop the Jewish people from their sins. And it's sort of a, you know, a very sad comment on a very great human being who was such a tzaddik. All he's concerned about here is the Ark of God, which is, you know, the, the national tragedy, let's put it this way. The national tragedy is so great that it eclipses his personal tragedy. And everything else that's gonna come afterwards, this is just the beginning. But we have the final word, and his daughter-in-law, the wife of Pinchas, was pregnant, and it says lalat. So Hazal say it, it has to be a ledlet, because what else you can do with pregnant? She's pregnant lalat, laledet, it must be laledet. But the dalit is missing, and the, the most simple explanation for that is that it's a sort of play on words for yilala, wailing. She was pregnant at a time of will, at this time of great tragedy. And she heard the news about the taking of the ark and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. And she went into labor. And her pains turned on her. Now, the Bible goes into discussion of the, the word sirim. Till today, uh, contractions are called sirim, and the Bible explains it from the word sir, it's sir is a hinge. So actually the birth pangs are when the cervix is dilating and when the, the, the birth is about to happen, and that's why it's called sirim. But because they turn on her, something is wrong. And she's dying. Something went wrong. Now, the abominable theory, which you could take it or not, is that the pains turned on her. After the baby emerged, the, the pain stopped. She could not 
expel the placenta, and that's why she died. But as she's dying, don't be afraid you've had a son. And she didn't answer, and she didn't pay any attention to them. And here you have, like in the midst of the tragedy, right? They're trying to make her feel better and say, you had a son. So what does that mean? Okay, traditionally, when a family is going through a tragedy, the birth of a son is a sign of healing. And here you have the family of the Kohen Gadol. This child can be another Kohen Gadol. This is, a, this is a good thing. You had a son. And interestingly enough, I didn't prepare for you, I should have. This, a similar thing is what the, they tell Rachel. Don't be afraid you have a son when Rachel is dying at the birth of Binyamin, right? And similarly there, Rachel calls her son Ben-Oni. Yaakov switches it to Benjamin. Ben-Oni is kind of a depressing name. The son of my travail, right? And here, the name doesn't get changed. And she calls the boy dishonor. No honor. Can you imagine the terrible name that she puts on this poor child? Dishonor. Lemor, saying. Gala kavod Yisrael, honor has been exiled from Israel. Because of the taking of the ark and her father-in-law and her husband, and she said, honor has been exiled from Israel because the ark of God was taken. So let's take a minute to talk about this, okay? First of all, um, when you take ikavod and you put it in English, it's ikavod. So for those of you Americans who remember your, um, your uh, American literature, right? There was this uh, sort of anti-hero in the legend of Sleepy Hollow and his name was Ichabod Crane. So you, you know that these people, they knew their Tanakh. Ichabod means dishonor. But in addition to that, we have this very weird thing where in Pasuk Kabbalah, she says, honor is exiled from Israel because of the taking of the ark and her father-in-law and her husband. And then in Pasuk Chafet, which is the last Pasuk in the, in the Perak, she says, honor has been exiled from Israel because the ark of God was taken. And it's very interesting, right? The Bible has a whole uh, sort of scenario, the way he explains this, and I think it's actually very, um, very moving. He says, she's dying, and they're saying, it's okay, you have a son, this is a good sign, it's a hopeful sign for the future. And she says, call him Ikavod, call him dishonor. And according to the Barbanel, this Lemur saying is the Nitzavot. Those women who are attending her say, it must be that honor is exiled from Israel because of the taking of the ark and the death of her father-in-law and her husband. But she speaks up and she says, no, it's only about the ark. In other words, she too is a great tzaddikis because the national tragedy is what is occupying her mind here and not her personal tragedy. And that's also uh, you know, a very, very fascinating kind of you know, summation to the story. Till today, by the way, the term Galakavod Yisrael, 
honors exile from Israel is an expression that is used in um, Jewish communities and Jewish events. Whenever some, something really terrible happens, this is the Pusik that they pull up. Israel. Honor has been exiled from Israel. When a great leader dies, that's what you're going to see. Israel. Honor is exiled from Israel. It's a very, very, um, it's a phrase used until today. So really the question that we have to ask ourselves is why do we get this sort of little story at the end here? What are we supposed to do with it? What are we supposed to learn from it? And um, you know, why does she get the last word on this, you know, terrible tragedy, so to speak? So a couple of things um, that I, you know, looked into, one of them is that this is actually um, sort of her death. I'm trying to remember who says this. Um, let's see. According to this commentary, her death is a mida keneged mida. It's measure for measure because they held back the korbanot of the women, Hafi and Penchas, and she dies because her pains are held back, right? Oh, this is the Barbanel. Um, now, he doesn't say why, so I'm just, I'm going to give you that, but I, I have to look up where I heard this. Also, you have to remember that this is the end. This is the real end of Sefer Shoftim. This is the real end of Kufasa Shoftim. Because the story of Sefer Shmuel is, is heading toward um, the, the era of the kings. And that's the way we're going. And this is the, the ending of it. And the, the, this is the end of Shiloh. This is the end of, you know, Eli and this whole you know, Galakam of Israel, the very tragedy of the honor of being exiled from Israel. And yet we never kind of leave any, you know, terrible story without some sort of hope. And that's the birth of this boy, Ikabo, that there is, there is a, that's a sign of hope, this little baby, the, with the unfortunate name, Ikabo. And we are actually going to meet him again, but not in any major role, but it is kind of a little bit of light in a tough story. Okay, Perak Hay, um, you will find a lighter tone, maybe, I think. This was a little sad, but in the run-up to um, to Shavuot, we could all pat ourselves on the back for our learning, and I'm going to stop the screen share, and yeah. If anyone has any questions, thoughts, ideas, it's a little bit of a tough story, but yeah. One of our, our big lessons is that when times are rough, don't blame God. Just do some tefillah, do some tshuva. That's how we have to we have to work it. Okay, ladies, so I will wish you all a Chag Sameach.